Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. At this new birth, and whether it be a baby boy or a baby girl, but the time of purification has happened and sacrifices have been made and it's like the family is whole again. But for during that time period, that little window there, it's just mama and her baby. It's just mama and her baby. So when I read through that, and I also was reading through a commentary and from Warren Wearsby, and he seemed to be saying this, seemed to be saying the same thing of like, isn't God cool that he would allow that? God designed family and he values it highly. It's easy to read through Leviticus and miss what it teaches about God's love for us, but it's actually full of his love. In a time where women were often only valued as maybe a few steps above livestock and children held a similar place in the family, God gave laws that protected and honored their true value. As Pastor James continues our study of this really complex book, he'll remind us of the culture-defying nature of God's work through his word. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Leviticus chapter 11 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Let's get into the word. If you look in the book of Leviticus, yes, I know, Leviticus, it's, it's in, the, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, okay? It's close to the front. But we've been going through this. We've already covered 10 chapters, believe it or not, in two Thursday nights. And we're going to cover a few more chapters. So we're going to be in chapter 11. Just so you understand, we, we've talked about sacrifices and what God, God allows and accepts as a sacrifice, and he's the one who orders worship. We don't order worship. We don't tell God how we're going to worship him. He tells us what's acceptable, and we obey, right? That's how this, that's how this relationship thing works with God. I, don't, I hope you understand that, because uh, in, in the Western church, we've gotten that backwards. We think we can tell God how we're going to worship him. And he's like, no, still works my way. He's king. We, uh, we worship him how he kind of wants that. And, uh, and it's a beautiful thing. And that's what we're going to see in these chapters we read through. It's really like God is, is such a loving God. He cares for his people. I know some of the things we're going to read through don't necessarily apply to us as they would have to the Israelites back in the day. But it just highlights the fact that God is caring and God is compassionate and God loves his people. That's it, right? So let's look at chapter 11, verse 1. We're going to read all the way through this little, uh, this chapter here, talking about what you can eat and what you can't eat. And let me just go ahead and fast forward you to the book of Acts. Everything is clean. It's cool, right? So if you're bummed out, don't worry about it. Um, Jesus proclaimed these things as clean, okay? But initially, back in Leviticus, to make a distinction between the Israelites and the rest of the world and what was safe and sanitary, there had to be some guidelines, okay? So verse one, it says, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, those two brothers, we know they helped lead Israel out of Egypt, give the following instructions to the people of Israel, of all the land animals, these are the ones you may use for food. I actually read that verse and I'm like, Thank you, God, for telling people what they can and cannot eat. Now, I will also let you know, yeah, um, 
there was already a, a division of animals in like clean and unclean. And if you don't believe me, you can just go back into the story of Noah. And when Noah, there are animals that were designated for sacrifice and ones that were designated for eating and not eating. So that's in Genesis chapter 7, I believe. You can go back into there and see that. But God is letting his people know, here's what you can eat and here's what you should stay away from. Of all the land animals, these are the ones you may use for food. Verse 3, you may eat any animal that has completely split hooves and choose the cud. Okay, cows, right? We understand that, okay? There's some other animals that, apply, that this applies to as well. You may not, however, eat the following animals that have the split hooves or that chew the cud. So, there's, so we're going to make a distinction here. And I, again, I'm grateful for the word of God that says, now let me give you some examples, right? So it says the camel uh, chews the cud but doesn't have a split hoof, right? So don't eat camels, which to me, that makes a lot of sense. I would never even think of eating a camel, but there you go. Camels are off limits uh, because of this distinction here. And he goes on to say that it's ceremonially, ceremonially unclean for you. The hyrax chews the cud but does not have a split hoof, it is, so it is unclean. The hare chews the cud but does not have split hooves, so it is unclean. And just a side note, the hare that's mentioned here is not a rabbit, okay? It's not talking about a rabbit, okay? Because you may be thinking, rabbits don't chew the cud. It looks like they are, but they're not technically chewing the cud. This animal, the hare in the Hebrew, we don't know what animal it's talking about. We don't know, and that's okay, right? Because again, book of Acts, Jesus proclaimed them all clean. So if you accidentally eat this mysterious animal, you're okay. You'll be all right, all right? So, but the Israelites would get this. When Moses, well, when the Lord told Moses and Aaron and they communicated it, they would understand what animal is talking about. Just a little side, side note there. Verse seven, the pig has evenly split hooves, but does not chew, chew the cud. So it is unclean. Again, amen. amen. There, okay, so... Um, and for some of you who love bacon, you're like, this point, it's, look, read the book of Acts. You'll be okay. Verse 8, you may not eat the meat of these animals or even touch their carcasses. They are ceremonially unclean for you. Of all the marine animals, those that live in the water, these are the ones you may use for food. You may eat anything from the water if it has both fins and scales, whether taken from salt water or from streams, salt or fresh. But you must never eat animals from the sea or from the rivers that do not have both fins and scales. They are detestable to you. This applies to both the living creatures that live in the shallow water, to all creatures that live in deep water. They will always be detestable to you. You must never eat their meat or even touch their dead bodies. Any marine animal that does not have both fins and scales is detestable to you. So this, again, the Lord is just making these safety, these are health-related parameters, okay? So no, yes, there's certain fish and certain marine animals that they would wisely avoid, okay? So verse 13, let's talk about the birds. These are the birds that are detestable for you. You must never eat them. The griffin vulture, the bearded vulture, the black vulture. I'm reading from New Living Translation, so yours might be different, but vultures, buzzards, and birds that feed off of dead things, Okay. Uh, the kite, falcons of all kinds, ravens of all kinds, the eagle owl, the short-eared owl, the, uh, the seagull, hawks of all kinds, the little owl, the cor cormorant, the great owl, the barn owl, the desert owl, the Egyptian vulture, the stork, herons of all kinds, the hopo, uh, I don't even know what that is, but that sounds like my favorite one, um, and the bat. Um, the bat, yeah, just 
just underline that one circle in case you didn't know don't eat bats um so these are obviously ant birds and flying things that most of the time I mean, these things are not all of these but most of these are feeding off of dead carcasses so god's saying don't eat these things right smart okay so he's just laying these things out now let's talk about uh following creatures as in uh, bugs and things right and, and other animals the list continues on Following creatures, verse 24, will make you ceremonially unclean. If any of you touch their carcasses, you will be defiled until evening. Okay, so it's not permanent, it's just temporary. If you pick up their carcass, you must wash your clothes and you will remain defiled until evening. Any animal that has not split hooves that are not evenly divided or that does not chew the cud is unclean for you. If you touch the carcass of such an animal, you will be defiled. Of the animals that walk on all fours, those that have, that have paws are unclean, don't don't eat those guys. Don't touch the carcass of such an animal. You will be defiled until evening. If you pick up its carcass, you must wash your clothes and you will remind, remain defiled until evening. So you get it. I mean, it's just saying like, just avoid these things. And if you happen to touch them or stumble upon them or whatever, just know it's going to defile you until evening. Okay. Not permanent. It's just temporary. These animals are unclean for you. Verse 29. Of the small animals that scurry along the ground, these are unclean for you. The mole rat, the rat, large lizards of all kinds, the gecko, the monitor lizard, common lizard, the sand lizard, the chameleon. Of all these, uh, all these animals are unclean for you. If you touch the dead body of such an animal, you'll be defiled until evening. If such an animal dies and falls on something, that object will be unclean. This is true whether the object is made of wood, cloth, or burlap, Whatever its use, you must dip it in water, and it will remain defiled until evening. After that, it will be ceremonially cleaned and may be used again. Okay, so these lizards and all this, we understand this because there's lizards everywhere on this island. Um, if one of those things dies and falls into like a cup or a plate or something of yours, wash the dishes. Don't use that dish until later on. Okay, just again, simple, common sense type stuff. And by the way, don't eat these animals either. Don't eat the lizards, fine, right? So, well, now you can't, but... I still wouldn't recommend it. Verse 33, if such an animal, same ones, little scurrying ones, falls into a clay pot, everything in the pot is defiled. The pot must be smashed. And if water from such a container spills on any food, uh, the food will be defiled. And any beverage in such a container will be defiled. Any object in which the carcass of the animal falls will be defiled. Oh my, if it is an oven or a hearth or earth, you know, little dome oven things, it must be destroyed for it is defiled and you must treat it accordingly. Um, however, if the carcass of such an animal falls into a spring or a cistern, that's, that's a hypothetical, right? Like that's your source of water. The water will still be clean, but anyone who touches its carcass will be defiled probably until evening. If the carcass falls on the seed grain to be planted in the field, the seed will still be considered clean. So obviously the Lord is putting in some other wise parameters of like, don't drain the well, right? Be smart. That's your source of life and your food, seed and all that stuff. Don't throw all that away. It's going to be okay. Just if it falls into your pot of like flour or sugar or whatever, toss that out and then get some more, right? So again, just these are good safety parameters from God to his people. Why? Because he cares about his people. Even in the minute little things that we don't even think about this stuff. God's like, oh yeah, by the way, um, follow these rules and you'll be okay. You'll be okay. You are what you eat. Yeah, that's right. Um, so verse 39, 
the last little bit of this chapter, okay? And then we won't talk about animals and bugs and stuff anymore. If an, animal are, if an animal you are permitted to eat dies and you touch its carcass, you will be defiled until evening. If you eat any of its meat or carry away its carcass, you must wash your clothes and you will, be remain, you will remain defiled until evening. Okay, we've gone over this before. All small animals that scurry along the ground are detestable and you must never eat them. This includes all animals that slither along on their bellies, uh, as well as those with four legs and those uh, with many feet. All such animals that scurry along the ground are detestable and you must never eat them. Do not defile yourself by touching them. You must not make yourself ceremonially unclean because of them. Here you go, verse 44. For I am the Lord your God. You must consecrate yourself or separate yourself and be holy because I am holy. So do not defile yourselves with any of these small animals that scurry along the ground. For I, the Lord, am the one who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, that I might be your God. Therefore, you must be holy, because I am holy. Right? So this is God to his people. These are the instructions regarding land animals, birds, marine creatures, animals that scurry along the ground. By these instructions, you will know what is clean and unclean, and which animals may be eaten, and which ones may not be eaten. So in the list of some of those things that New Living Translation doesn't clarify, certain bugs were okay to eat, locusts, things like that, uh, grasshoppers and all that good stuff. I've had grasshopper before. It's not bad. Uh, I've eaten crickets before. Not bad. Um, but there are some insects that were always detestable. So God is just laying these parameters because he is holy and he cares about his people. And it may seem like a little thing as we just cruise through that chapter, but... Um, obedience, obedience is of like the uppermost importance to God in the small things. Disobedience in the little things will always lead to disobedience in the big things. Okay. So if God is laying these parameters concerning what animals you can eat, what animals you should stay away from, you're going to start to know the heart of people by how they start to disobey God. Right. And praise God, he gave them his word so they'd have guidance. Because when we start to ignore his word, that's when we go, that's when we start to go off, right? Um, and it's never God who is wrong in the, in the scenarios of our lives. Um, it's usually us because we tend to, well, we tend to go off, right? But in order for these people to stay clean, they had to know the word. That's what God just gave them. To Moses, through Moses and Aaron, he gave the people of Israel his word and his word clarified to them, this is how you remain clean. And they needed to know the word of God. That's how they were going to stay clean. This was their guidelines. This was what's going to help them through their life. Um, good personal application point for you and I. You want to stay clean? Know the word. Get into the word of God. Dig into this book. Read it. Meditate on it. Study it. Apply it. Because when I neglect this book, that's when I go south. So really good stuff. You're like, why Leviticus? This is why. Because God knows that we're just sinners. And man, we, when we get a, an opportunity to, to do a little rebellion, we're going to take it oftentimes. And he's like, no, here's, here's the guidelines. Um, here's what you can eat. Here's what you should avoid. Um, and just know my word. Stay clean. Okay? Now, we're going to transition from dietary stuff into 
purification things. Now, some of this is going to be like concerning childbirth and rules for moms. And this is a very short chapter, but um, this is ritual purification, not personal holiness. Okay? So you got to know that distinction from the beginning. Ritual purification, not personal holiness. And I say that because people will read through this chapter and they'll think like, oh, to be a woman is a bad thing. No, it's not. And God actually cares a lot about women. He does. And this chapter, right in the heart of Leviticus, proves it. He cares about moms. So let's see. Verse 1, chapter 12. The Lord said to Moses, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. If a woman becomes pregnant and gives birth to a son, okay, distinction there, a son, she will be ceremonially unclean for seven days. Why? Because there's a lot of blood and other bodily fluids that happen in the process of the birthing experience, okay? This isn't like, ooh, gross, nothing like that. It's just like, this is God saying, look, there's going to, she needs time. Time has to take place for her to go through the ceremonially cleansing process, okay? So for seven days, just as she is unclean during her menstrual period, okay? There you go. Uh, verse three, on the eighth day, the boy's foreskin must be circumcised, right? So there you go. On the, on the eighth day, now we don't, have, we don't do this. It doesn't have to be on the eighth day because they get their vitamin K shot and all that good stuff. Circumcision can happen right away and all that fun stuff. But on, for them, it was on the eighth day, they were gonna, the boy would be circumcised. And this was a distinction. This was a mark that God had selected for the people of Israel. This wasn't un- uncommon in that day. There are lots of other people groups that circumcised their boys. Okay, But God chose circumcision as a physical outward kind of sign of like really a, a spiritual principle. Now, the, the religious people, um, and, and when I say that, I'm talking about the, the Pharisees, the scribes, and the leaders back in Jesus's day would, and especially when Paul was uh, on the scene, would use circumcision, the, the physical outward thing of circumcision, to be like, you have to have that, and if you're not circumcised, then, you know, you're not one of us. And what they missed was God was really highlighting the fact that the circum- physical circumcision was just highlighting what had to happen in your heart, okay? That your heart should be circumcised, okay? But here is where this, you know, Abraham and all his guys got circumcised, and, and so they're, they're implementing this into the nation of Israel as like, on the eighth day, your boy's going to be circumcised. Verse 4, after waiting 33 days, she will be purified from the bleeding of childbirth, During this time of purification, she must not touch anything that is set apart as holy. She must not enter the sanctuary until the time of her purification is over. If a woman gives birth to a daughter, okay, so here's addressing the daughter now, she will be ceremonially unclean for two weeks, right? So it's not seven days, now it's two weeks, it's double. And she is unclean during her, uh, just as she is unclean during her menstrual period, after waiting 66 days, She will be purified from the bleeding of childbirth. When the time of purification is complete for either a son or daughter, the woman must bring a a one-year-old lamb for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or turtle dove for a purification offering. She must bring her offerings to the priests at the entrance of the temple. The priest will present them to the Lord to purify her. Then she will be ceremonially clean again after the bleeding or after her bleeding at childbirth. These are the instructions for a woman after the birth of a son or a daughter. And you're like, 
What? Why? She's got to stay away? No, check this out. This is maternal leave, biblically. This is what this is. You got a son? You're going to stay away. You're going to take some time, and it's just you and your baby boy. Just mama and her baby boy for this long. You don't go to church. You're not taking that baby around strangers and all that good stuff. Because why? Because he could get sick, maybe, possibly. It's just you and the baby. Mama, that's all you got to do. It's just you and that baby. So when we, we read through this, sometimes we think like, well, that sounds unfair. She's got to stay away. I think this is a beautiful thing where God's like, it's just you and that baby. Just a mom and her kid. And if it's a daughter, we don't know why it's double. We don't know why it's double. There's a lot of ideas out there why that is and all that good stuff. But for a mom and a daughter, so you have a daughter, well, then you take that, that time plus some more time and it's just mama and her baby. Don't do anything. Don't do anything. And, and, and she's got to be separate from everybody. But it's just her and that baby developing that bond. And I think that's pretty cool that God would institute that. And I, some people are like, that's no, just not fair. This isn't like saying women aren't of a great, as, you know, as important as men. This is God saying, I appreciate moms. And I appreciate that bond between moms and their kids at that very beginning initial stage. And so there's a whole purification thing that has to happen. So during that time period, it's just mom and her baby. And when that time's done, mom takes baby to, I know it's the tabernacle, but I'm going to use the term church kind of a deal. And mom's going to offer a sacrifice, not just for her, but also for that baby. Right? That's a beautiful thing. Can you imagine the people at the tabernacle? Can you imagine the, the husband who's like kind of had to keep his distance for the most part from his wife for that amount of time. But like there's this reunification that takes place. And the, the, the family, the tribe gets to rejoice at this new birth, and a, whether it be a baby boy or a baby girl, but the time of purification has happened and sacrifices have been made and it's like the family is whole again. But for during that time period, that little window there, it's just mama and her baby. It's just mama and her baby. So when I read through that, and I also was reading through a commentary and from Warren Wiersbe, and he seemed to be saying this, seemed to be saying the same thing of like, isn't God cool that he would allow that? That he would be like, because there's other cultures where it's like the woman has, has a baby, and my goodness, if it turns out to be a girl, then oh, we're sorry, right? And I know sometimes that was happening in uh, Jewish culture to a certain degree. But it, and then the boys are always celebrated ones and all that good stuff. But then it's like, you're back at it. And like, you know, make me a sandwich woman and all that good stuff, right? Like this is domineering thing that would happen. And yet within this culture, right from God's mouth, so to speak, he's saying, moms are going to have this much time with their sons or they're going to have this much time with their daughters. And when that time is complete, then they come back, sacrifice and we worship, and that family's, that family's connected again after that purification process. I think it's kind of cool. God institutes a little R&R for moms. That's, that's kind of nice. Um, verse 8 says, if a woman concerning the sacrifice, if she can't afford to bring a lamb, because that's a, that's a costly sacrifice, she must bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons. Those are the same sacrifices, the pigeons, um, that Mary and Joseph would bring to the temple after Mary had had uh, the baby Jesus.
You've been listening to Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. Pastor James is making his way through the book of Leviticus. Now, when we open the book of Leviticus, we first read these words. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. He starts talking to Moses about the offerings that the people are to bring. In chapter 1, verse 9, he says, And the priest shall burn all of it on the altar, as a burnt offering, a food offering, with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. The animals they offered were to be without blemish. Now, we know that when Jesus died on the cross, he was the perfect Lamb of God. And yet the writer of Romans says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. We no longer sacrifice animals to cover our sin, but in reverence and in worship of Jesus who paid that price for us once and for all, we offer ourselves as living sacrifices. The book of Leviticus can open our eyes to how we're to live before the King of Kings. Here at Bread for the Broken, we're committed to helping people find hope and new life in Jesus. To hear other great messages filled with that hope and life, head over to breadforthebroken.com. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com. Or you can find us on Facebook, where we live stream all of our services. That's all that we have for today. Pastor James will be back with you next time, right here on Bread for the Broken.